John 21, verse number 15. The Bible says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death uh, Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against them during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now I want you to hear verse 22. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. We don't, we don't often picture Jesus kind of getting up in somebody's face. And he's holy, so if, if he got up in Peter's face, is exactly what Peter needed. And whether or not he physically got in Peter's face, the tone of communication between Jesus and Peter was very different in this moment than it had ever been before. And I want to leave room in your life and my life for the Lord to occasionally change his tone with us. Most of the time when I hear Jesus speaking to me through the Word, through the Holy Spirit, through other people's words, most of the time it's very encouraging, it's very emboldening, oftentimes it's instructional, he, he loves to tell us how to do and what to do, what he's called us to do, but I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. Every now and then I sense Jesus getting in my face and saying, I want you to follow me. And I believe that's exactly what he was doing to Peter. Now the question is, what led up to that? What was going on and how can we learn from this distracted disciple named Peter and how can we become a people who are able to obey Jesus when he says, follow me the first time? Because I'll tell you in this message, there were no fewer than three times that the son of God in his earthly life had to look at Peter and say, I want you to follow me. And here we are, three years after he began to follow the Lord, and the message to Peter is the same as it was on day one. Peter, follow me. 
So let's get into the text together. It's going to start in verses 15, 16, and 17. And I want to look at this gentle confrontation from Jesus. This whole passage of Scripture is somewhat confrontational, and it builds toward the very end. But let me remind you of what had happened with Peter up to this point. This is the context of Peter being kind of challenged by Jesus here. Peter had experienced a personal, personal implosion. Now, just earlier in this chapter and going back a few chapters, you're going to find Peter moving in and out of fleshly confidence to fleshly fear to fleshly abandonment and, and isolation. Peter was the guy who was hyper-confident in himself. He's the guy that said to Jesus at the end of John chapter 13, Jesus, all these other disciples may walk away from you, but I want you to know something, Lord. I will never leave you. Though I were to die, I will be with you until the end. And, of course, we know that Jesus looked at him and said, No, Peter, you're actually going to deny me three times before the sun rises. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. All of that came to pass. In the hour of his betrayal, abandonment, and uh, trial, Peter was asked a couple of different times, aren't you loyal to this one named Jesus, the one who's been arrested, the one who's about to be crucified? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter denied Jesus. He denied him to a little campfire girl. He denied him to a servant. He denied him three times, even to the point where Peter engaged in cursing in order to show that he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He used the common vulgarities of that day, invoked the name of God just to prove to everybody he wasn't associated with this one who said he was the Messiah. And then, of course, Jesus looked across the courtyard, saw Peter after those denials, and Peter was crushed on the inside, and he ran away. Fast-forwarding, Jesus rises from the tomb, and the Bible says that he sent special word through the women. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I will meet them in Galilee. Later on, Paul, in one of his epistles, referred to a private meeting that Jesus had with Peter. We're not given the details of that meeting. But this is now the third time where Jesus is revealing himself to Peter. But what's interesting is earlier in this chapter, in chapter 21, after Peter had been sought out by Jesus, after Peter had been restored to fellowship by Jesus, after Peter had met with Jesus two times after the resurrection, Peter is still not going back to his calling. Peter went back to his vocation. Peter was no longer following Jesus. Listen, I don't know. I'd like to think if Jesus had risen from the dead and restored me back into fellowship with him, that wherever Jesus was, I was going to be right there by his side. But for whatever reason, Peter was hanging out one day with the disciples, some of them, and he just looks at him and goes, guys, I'm going to go fishing. And so they get on a boat and they launch out and they're working all night long trying to catch the fish. And they've caught nothing. The sun's starting to come up. They're 100 yards offshore. And there on the shore is a solitary figure that they can't make out, but he calls out, have you caught any fish tonight? And the guys shout back, no, we haven't caught anything. We're about done for the night. And the lone figure on the beach says, cast it on the other side of the ship. Cast it on the right side. And when they throw the nets in, you know the story. The nets were filled with fish. John, the one who loved Jesus, looks at Peter and says, that's the Lord. That's the Lord on the seashore. Peter throws on his outer garment, swims the hundred yards to shore, and when he gets there, there's Jesus for yet another encounter with Peter. That's the context. Why, why am I saying that? Because I want you to understand that even though the Lord confronts Peter, he's confronting him because he's calling Peter back into the deepest purposes for Peter's life. 
Peter was not going to be a fisherman. That was not his calling. And yet, like so many of us, when we have failed, when we have struggled for a season, when maybe we drop the ball immensely on the Lord, there is that human component to want to put a little distance between us and the Lord. To say, well, he's, he's welcomed me back into fellowship, but I can't ever enter into his purposes again. I'm defiled. I've failed. I've messed up. There's probably nothing out there for me in the kingdom, but whew, thank God that he still loves me, but I don't want to press the issue. I'm sure he can never use me again. And maybe that's where Peter was. We know one thing. He, he wasn't following the Lord on this particular night. So he experienced gentle confrontation. Look in verses 15 and 16. When they had finished the breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. I like this because the Lord wasn't content to have Peter just back in the family. He wanted him back on the team. And he says to him twice, he's saying, Peter, do you love me? Now, what's the intention of that? I believe it's this. I, I personally think some people are, you know, there's a difference of opinion. When the Lord says, do you love me more than these? Is he referring to Peter's boast earlier where he said, Lord, I'll be with you. We're tight till the end, not these guys. These guys may flee on you, but I'll be with you. Is the Lord referring to that? I personally believe that the Lord is actually referring to the fish. I believe because the Bible says that they brought in a net full of 153 large fish. That's a lot of money for fishermen. They were laid out there on the beach. They were eating a few of them. And I believe because the Lord is working with Peter's calling that the Lord is saying to Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me and my purposes for you more than you love yourself and these fish and the money they can bring you? And he asked him twice. You talk about awkward. Because it wasn't a one-on-one -on -one meal. All the guys had come back in in the boat. There's everybody around. And Jesus is saying to Peter in front of people, hey, Peter, do you love me? Can I, can I give a, a, just a, a personal word here? Um, it's easy for a lot of us to serve the Lord more than we love the Lord. Loving the Lord requires something that serving the Lord doesn't necessarily require. You've got gifts, you've got a skill set, you set out some time, you do some deeds as under the Lord, and it's very possible to maintain distance from the Lord in your heart while you're serving him with your hands. And, and, and the Lord wasn't content. It's so good of Jesus, not only to go after Peter's heart, but to go after his life purpose. He doesn't want Peter to go robotically through the motions. He wants all of Peter, heart, mind, soul, spirit, body, all of it. He wants everything from Peter, but in order to do that, Peter's got to come to terms with where Peter actually is with the Lord. And so the Lord asks him some probing questions. It's almost as if the Lord wants Peter to know the depth of his love for Jesus. Jesus already knew it. One thing you can know, Jesus never asks a question in Scripture because he doesn't know the answer. He always knows the answer, but when he asks the questions of individuals, he's drawing them out. He's calling them near. So he experienced this gentle confrontation, but in verse 17 at the beginning of it, Peter had to gain clarity about the level of his devotion. So Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible adds this note. John writes in there, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter was grieved. That third probe 
touched the part of Peter that Jesus wanted to touch. And this was his response. It was slightly different. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. There's a little bit of a surrender attached to that third response from Peter. It might even be interpreted in this way. Lord, I... I know I love you, but you know better than I do. And so, Lord, I'm telling you that I love you, but only you really know the degree to which I love you. And that is a beautiful place to get. You know how easy it is to front in a church gathering? To front, to pretend, to pose, to posture about a love for Jesus. It's so easy to hide in a crowd. And I want to remind all of us that the Lord doesn't see us as a conglomerate primarily. Yes, he sees us as the bride. He sees us as the body of Christ. But he never sees that in independence of seeing individuals. And so we all have to come to this place where we have to acknowledge the degree to which we love the Lord. Um, I, I have prayed for years, Lord, I know that I don't love you as much as I should, and I know I don't love you today as much as I could, but I want to love you more. And so it's pressing in in that honesty. Um, some of you are just wired by God to love freely and easily. You can speak it, you can feel it, you can show it, you can flow in it. You're a love gusher. I'm married to one of those kinds of people, just flows in love and it's so easy. Other us, others of us are love stutterers. We, we try, but it never quite moves out as fluidly. But here's the thing. Jesus just wants to meet you where you are. He wants to come to that place, but you have to acknowledge where you are if you're ever going to encounter him where you are. And Peter had to do that. Gone from Peter was his boastful arrogance. Gone from Peter was the, I'm the top dog. Peter just always naturally assumed, and I mean that word naturally on purpose, he always assumed he was the best in the room. And, and he constantly got in trouble from it, for it, even to the point where his greatest boast was connected to his greatest implosion. I will never leave you, Lord. I will never abandon you. And he did them both. This big, brawny head of the disciples quaked in the presence of a little girl around the campfire that queried and wanted to know, are you a disciple of Jesus? So he came to terms with this love. It wasn't a courage issue with Peter. It was a love issue. And so as we move down a little bit further, I love what the Lord did. Peter experienced grace. Say that with me grace it is what we need most of all he experienced grace and was fully restored by Jesus so Jesus says unto him okay Peter I hear you I want you to feed my sheep you're not a fisherman you're a shepherd of souls forget your boats forget your nets forget your fish and I want you to restart in engaging with me and following me again so let's go down into verses number 18 and 19 I want us to, to kind of tarry here for a minute because this isn't just for Peter. This is for all of us. And look at the clear communication that Jesus gives. I'm going to frame it up in the form of four lessons that Peter is learning in this encounter. The first of all is this. Peter, as you feed Jesus' lambs, as you follow him, as you say goodbye to your days of failure, your days of bravado, your days of boasting, your days of doing whatever you want, Peter, you're no longer going to be self-governed. Christians in our generation, we must get this. It looks like this for Peter. Jesus says to him, truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself 
and walk wherever you wanted. Just pause there with me. Jesus is now making a distinction between Peter's old ways and Peter's ways from this point forward. Peter, when you were young, you got to decide whatever you wanted to do. You got to go wherever you wanted to go. You got to pick the time, the date, the location. Peter, you were a self-made man, a self-governed man. Peter's personality in Scripture reveals him to be somewhat headstrong, sometimes impulsive, but always decisive, always convinced, even if he wasn't accurate, he never lacked confidence that he could be the man in the moment. And Jesus is now calling him out of that. Jesus does not typically use long-term people that are committed to being self-governed. The whole concept of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, is that to a certain extent, you renounce yourself. There's an un-American thought. You renounce yourself. You renounce the ownership of yourself. You are no longer Lord of your own life. That literally, you cannot live your days self-governed. Why? Because you have a new master. A master who loves you. A master who saved you. A master who bought you. A master who changed you. A master who cleansed you. A master who assigned an identity to you. A master who empowered you and gifted you and opens doors for you that you can enter into the most satisfying life that a human being can enter. What is that? Being Walking in oneness with God according to his purposes for your life. And you can't do that if you're self-governed. Earlier in this chapter, it was Peter who looked at all the other, there was, I think, maybe eight to ten other disciples with him, and, and I think it was eight other disciples, and he just says, I'm going fishing, and they all went with him. You see, Peter didn't lose his leadership instinct. He didn't lose his gifting. He didn't lose his ability to motivate people. The problem was, as he was doing it at this, at this juncture, he was doing it in a self-governing way. Peter decided, I'm going to go fishing, and naturally, all the ones that were around him said, we want to go with you. Why? Because God had gifted this man to lead. It's a dangerous thing to have a ton of gifting, a ton of influence, a lot of capability, but no compass. And Peter's compass was spinning. He would just go wherever it was pointing in the moment. And Jesus is saying to him, those days are over, Peter. Peter is being consecrated back into the, the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, it's a lesson that all of us need to learn. He's not just telling this to Peter, he's telling this to you. We actually don't have autonomy. And we don't need to live in autonomy and then give the Lord lip service. That literally, there are times where his ways are going to clearly manifest as being higher than our ways, different than our ways. His thoughts are going to be different than our thoughts. We should actually live with the assumption that in the natural, we do not know what God wants in the moment. And what that does is it causes us to pause, come out of the natural instinct, and then position ourselves before him and say, speak to me, O Lord. I want to know what you want. When, when we're young and we're impulsive and we're full of ourselves, we, we typically do whatever we want. And if it's successful, uh, we, we tell the Lord, O Lord, thank you for doing that. And sometimes God just looks from heaven and says, that, that actually wasn't me. That, that was all you. I wasn't sending you there. Well, Lord, it was successful. Well, friends, I want to go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of successful people in existence that don't believe anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't measure our relationship with the Lord based on the success that flows out of our life. The measure of our relationship with the Lord is a loving obedience. 
if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus said that. So he goes to do what I call a second lesson here. God's plan for Peter would involve hardship. At the end of verse 18, he says, Peter, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. And another is going to dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now, I want you to think of the context of this. Jesus is calling Peter back into following him. Peter had imploded. Peter had run away. Peter had allowed for some distance, and Jesus wasn't content with that. And and I love the fact the way the Lord operates. It's counterintuitive to our world. When we want, this is not we, us, necessarily, but when the Western church wants to present Jesus to somebody, they always try to sell him. Come to Jesus, and he'll do this for you, and he'll do this for you, and he'll do this for you. I like Jesus' approach. Jesus is saying to Peter, hey, Peter, I want you to come with me, and you're not going to be able to live in self-government anymore. As a matter of fact, at the end of your life, you won't have full control of your life. And it's not just that Jesus is going to control it. Jesus is prophesying here that Peter's destiny is going to involve some hardship, that he's going to be taken captive. And by the way, all of that happened. Um, Let's be clear when we're sharing the gospel with each other and we're sharing it with the lost. Jesus does not present himself as the slick, well-oiled Western Messiah that'll clear up your skin, deepen your bank account, give you new rims on your Cadillac, and so on and so on. That's that's a, a distortion of the Jesus of the Bible. Sometimes, and I think the more is gonna happen as we approach the end of the age, the message needs to be clear. When you're considering coming and committing your life to Jesus, know this, it will come with an intense cost. We ought to love people enough to be honest with them. Instead of marketing the Son of God to a, to a generation that only has an appetite for what pleases them. So we morph the gospel to make it pleasing to them, and they believe in something, but it's not the biblical gospel. Jesus looked at Peter and he said this, Peter, it's not going to be like it was before you came back to me. You're going to follow me, and it's going to end up in you forfeiting all of your liberties, all of your control." maybe even all of his dreams, if his dreams were self-anchored at that time. Lesson three, I'm getting there because we haven't even gotten to the distraction part yet. I'm setting the context. God's ultimate goal for Peter's life was God's own glory. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Jesus is, is saying to Peter, From this point forward, your life's going to be full of power, full of glory, full of anointing, and full of decrease. You're going to be diminished, Peter. Peter Peter just seemed to always want to be at the front of the line, to have the first word and the last word and the settled word. It was just the way he he moved. And listen, that's who he was in the natural. And the Lord was saying, you're going to have to stay so close to me for me to ever impart unto you what you're going to need in order to show up on that last day of your life at the day of your death and have it be a death that glorifies God. And see, when I read that, exactly what this sister just said, I read that and I'm like, yeah, Peter. Yeah, Peter, you need to listen to Jesus. I don't hear that, I hear, Jeff, you need to listen to your own sermon. 
God's ultimate desire for your life and mine is not rooted in the American dream. More than likely, the American dream will run counter grain to God's ultimate desire to your life. God's ultimate desire for our life is not to put us in a trophy display case so people can ooh and ah at the glint of God coming off of our lives. That's just not what he wants. Ultimately, the Lord, and because we are all individuals, it's going to look different. Not everybody's going to die for the glory of God, but we are all called to live the life that God has given us for the glory of God. And we can't do that without close proximity to him. So ultimately, Peter is being told, as he's being welcomed back, Peter, this is the way it's going to end. It's, it's almost hanging in the air that Peter has a decision to make. And I love the fact that the Lord Jesus is just almost to the point of being raw. He's honest with them. And so this is the fourth lesson. His primary calling was to follow Jesus. Now, I know that sounds basic. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. I know that sounds so basic. Um, I think practically speaking, if, if you want to put a term on the life of a Christian, it's this. We're Jesus followers. And yet we do it by faith. We, we do it because we typically, I've never seen him. I've experienced him. I've sensed him, but I've never seen him. So all the following that we do unto Jesus, we do by faith. We do it with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we have so many um, available gifts and, and treasures in our generation that help us to follow close to Jesus. But ultimately, no matter what your, your role is, no matter what your job in the kingdom is, no matter what your advance is or your success ratio or your, your demographic is, no matter what any of that is, ultimately, I measure myself. I won't put it on you. I measure myself in this. How closely am I following Jesus today? There's a tendency to, for a lot of us to assume because we, we were tight with Jesus last year that things must be okay today. Or we experienced an incredible anointing five years ago. And lots of people are tempted to live off of the fumes of that. But if I'm following Jesus, it just means I'm following him. I'm not chasing what he can do for me. I'm not trying to get something from him. Are y'all with me this morning? So Jesus is saying, Peter, follow me. Why is this amazing? Because it was the first thing Jesus ever said to Peter. Be encouraged by this. So three plus years earlier, Peter was doing what? Fishing. He was cleaning his nets. Jesus walks by and says, follow me. Peter leaves the family business, attaches himself to Jesus, becomes a disciple. During those three years, they heard words that nobody had ever heard coming from the mouth of the Son of God. They saw the power of heaven over hell coming through not only Jesus' hands, but Peter's own hands. They, 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 they were coming up against the forces of darkness in the demonic realm and winning. Jesus was challenging the status quo religion. And so Peter was learning it's not about Judaism the way the Pharisees put it before us. It's, it's about a relationship with Abba Father. And we do that. We do that relationship through this one named Jesus, the Son. So they saw all the miracles. They, Peter saw the dead raised. Peter himself was casting out demons and healing the sick and authorized and deputized by Jesus to go out and do amazing kingdom works. 
And three years later, Jesus looks at Peter and says, are you ready to follow me? Isn't that amazing? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of encouraged by that. Because there is a certain sense that will find us every now and then where we can look back and we can say, oh, man, I really thought I knew him then. I really thought I understood the kingdom then. I really thought I had it kind of puzzle piece together, who God is and how God is. And, and then came that season where my, my gifts weren't enough, my relationships weren't enough, my religion wasn't enough, my disciplines weren't enough, my, 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 my ministries weren't enough. And I always end up in those times coming back to this place where I'm just like, Lord, just teach me to follow you. Just teach me. And, and what that is, 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 is relational. Yes, it involves the component of master and follower, or leader and follower, master and disciple. But ultimately, Jesus is saying, I just want you to walk where I walk. I want you to learn how, how to walk how I walk. I want to impart to you my very own nature, and I can't do that when you're running a thousand miles away, a uh, thousand miles an hour and a hundred yards away from me. Come closer. Three years, and Jesus and Peter are still on square one. So it can motivate me, but it can also humble me. It can motivate you, but it could also humble you. Let me, let me just ask a question since I'm about to get into the, the very last verses. Let me just ask you. Um, how do I want to ask this carefully? I don't, I don't want to be, well, I'm talking to myself out loud. I need to stop that. Are you sure you're as far along with him as you think? It's not an accusation. It's a great opportunity for an assessment. Are you sure? If we're following him and we think we're close, but we're living with a critical spirit, I'd venture to say you're not following as closely as you think. If you're following him and you're constantly troubled and agitated by others who are following him differently, I would say you might not be following him as closely as you think. There's a lot of indicators that we can find through Scripture that serve to slow us down and hush us up a little bit. And just to say, I just need to really hear you right now, Lord. I... I I need to fixate my soul on you. And if there was ever an opportunity for Peter to do a good job of that, it is right here. But then comes verse 20. It happens like that. He, listen, Jesus has got him locked in. He went and found Peter, appeared to him three times, him and him once alone, two times with the disciples. He's restored him into fellowship. He's now restoring him into ministry. He's given Peter three chances to say that he loves Jesus, to maybe counterbalance the three opportunities that he took to deny Jesus. And so Jesus has made the playing field completely level. And he's got Peter's attention. And he says, Peter, I just want you to love me and my sheep more than you love the fish. And I want you to come after me. So everything's perfect. 
And what we want to see is Peter stand up, dry the tears out of his eyes and say, yes, Lord, from this point forward, whatever you say, wherever you lead, wherever you go, if you will empower me by your grace, I humble myself to depend on you, but it is my desire to follow you. We'd love to hear that come out of Peter's mouth. It doesn't. Because here we're going to see the unyielding expectation from Jesus. This is where we'll finish in these last three verses. Look at Peter's loss of focus. Now watch this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's that's John. And he sees John following them. The one who also had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And then it says it again at the beginning of verse 21. Peter saw him. Now, here's the picture you find out by just reading these verses. So when Jesus is talking to Peter... They get up from the campfire where they're eating the fish and the bread. And Jesus begins to literally, when he said, follow me, he's getting up as he says it. And he's walking away from where everybody else is sitting. And he's given Peter the most basic opportunity to obey. And so Peter gets up and Jesus is walking ahead of him. And Peter's walking and Peter's all of a sudden saying, Lord, Lord, what about John? What's John going to do? Now, I'm amplifying it a little bit, but I think that's the spirit of his heart a little bit. The Bible actually says Peter turned. Peter, you can't follow Jesus and turn from Jesus at the same time. Peter was hung on the horns of this dilemma of wanting to be with Jesus, but not being able to give up his controlling nature over the other disciples. And he attends churches to this day. That, oh, I love Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. If I could only have one eye point that way to him and one eye point that way to the other people. Am I the only one who's ever seen this? I mean, y'all know that Peter's everywhere, right? And we have to be delivered. Yeah, don't, because I'm not saying, yeah, Peter's sitting behind you, three seats to the left. He's here. I'm saying Peter's everywhere. You have a little Peter in you. You do. His little tunic smells like fish. His worn out sandals. And he's he's wanting to follow Jesus because there's a part of Peter that loves Jesus. But there's a part of Peter that wants to make sure he's got his eye on everybody else. And we can't do that. It says it twice. He saw John. By the way, I love this about John. Jesus did not say, John, you come too. John just loved Jesus. When Jesus got up, John said, I'm going to. Because it says Peter turned around and saw John following them. Isn't that great about Jesus lovers? It's like when Jesus moved, the lovers, the Jesus lovers, they don't care where he's going. They're not asking questions. Jesus is moving. I want in on that. Didn't wait on a special invitation. John knew wherever Jesus was, John could go to. That's the heart of a lover of God. Not waiting on a special invitation. Not waiting on a big fanfare to get involved. John's just like, my Lord's moving. There's nothing great around this campfire. We'll see you guys. And John is just following them. And Peter lost his focus. Um, I'm going to take about five extra minutes this morning, okay? So bear with me here. Peter moves into what I call a lack of boundaries. He said to Jesus, 
Lord, what about this man? The reason why this is so important to me, it highlights to me, because it's juxtaposed against the Lord's efforts to just get Peter to look at Jesus. All Jesus had been doing was working overtime just to get Peter singularly focused back on Jesus. And Peter is demanding to know, what are you going to do with John? I mean, maybe Peter's thinking, hey, you just told me I'm going to die. You just told me I'm going to glorify God. I'm losing control of my life. I'm not in charge anymore. What about John? That's just like us if we're not operating in the Spirit. The Lord is seeking to lead you. He's shepherding you. He's growing you. If you're listening and cooperating, he is stretching you. And it is so common to take your eyes and your ears off of what he is introducing into your life and get distracted by what he is or is not doing in somebody else's life or by your presumption that they're not responding properly to what he's doing in their life. Either way, we're not looking at the one who's leading us. I I understand that there is a concept of accountability within the body of Christ. I'm not, that's apples and oranges today. What I'm going after is this impulsive, compulsive tendency for us to try to master people. Paul said this, Paul said, who are you that judges another man's servant? He says his master is able to make him stand. Do you know how liberating that is? I don't have time to testify, but I was spiritually groomed. It just happened to me. I don't even know how it happened. But I was spiritually groomed to function as like an inspector in the kingdom in my early years. I, I mean, there were things that I preached. I pray to God somebody's burned those cassettes and they never surface again. I thought everybody's business was my business. And I'm going to tell you, I had a lot of words, but I had zero intimacy with the Lord back then. And in, in, in that kind of spirit, you've got to get delivered from that. Some of you are hearing this and you're saying, I hear what you're saying, Jeff, but I, I really do think we need to keep our eyes on people. Let me shot block that. You're missing the message. You're missing the message. You're walking with the one who's got his eye on them. He doesn't need your eye on them. He's not saying, hey, can you keep an eye on them? I'm I'm busy over here. He's got them and he's got you too. And so often, let me just go ahead and say this. So often, um, the way he leads them is going to look differently than the way he leads you. It's a test for you. Can you keep your eyes on Jesus when you're walking in 2-4 timing and he's leading somebody else on a galloping in circles? Can you believe that he's leading a person like that? You say, I don't think so, because if he was leading them, he'd be doing this with them. No, 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 no. You've become a judge of somebody else's servant. I'm not saying there's a thousand different ways to God. Listen, we get the gospel. We're not talking about that. We're talking about following him. Other people are not obligated to share your personal priority in the kingdom. They're not supposed to be gifted just like you. We're not a homogenous people. As a matter of fact, all you got to do is get on a plane, fly to a different part of the world, get into a gathered set of a room full of believers, and immediately you're going to realize, I don't walk like them. What if they cast you out? Because your worship looks different. 
because your disciplines look different, because your Bible translation reads differently. So it's, it's just this, what, what is that in us? Billy, this is the pumpkin. Remember I was talking about cleaning out the junk out of the pumpkin? Present yourself as a pumpkin to God. Say, Lord, cut off the top, reach your hand in there, and get that nasty stuff out of me. Because we've got to be delivered from this if we're going to function. It'll come to a point for all of us, and I'm just about done. It'll come to a point for all of us where we actually are no longer triggered. Somebody's being led differently. Not only will you not be triggered anymore, you'll be able to stand back and say, I love how the Lord leads her. I love how the Lord leads that. That's not me. I can't, I can't worship like that. I can't evangelize like that. I don't pray like that. I'm not as generous as that person. But man, Lord, because I'm following you and I see you up close, I now see things on you that I can recognize that you've put on other people. And we don't recognize that when we're following with one eye on him and one eye on folk. So verse 22, this is how Jesus deals with distracted disciples. Here's Peter's lesson to learn. Peter had asked, Lord, what about John? We need to talk about John for a minute. Jesus says to him, I'm just going to say it nice. It's still strong, even nice. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Even as nice and mild as you can make it, it's still a, ooh. I don't think that's the way Jesus said it, though, because Peter's in, in a, he's in a crucible right here. Jesus has gone to great lengths to bring Peter back to himself. And I literally believe it was a little bit more like this. Oh, you're asking about John, are you? <laughs> hey, if it's my will as the Lord of John's life, if it's my will that he stay right there until I come again, hey, Peter, what business is that of yours? Peter, hear me again. Follow me. And that was the end of the discussion. The best that we can tell, Peter didn't, he, he wasn't perfect the rest of his days, but the best that we can tell the trajectory of Peter's life from that point forward, where Jesus had to pry his eyes. There were a few blips on the radar where Peter stumbled in this area, but for the most part, Peter's life was that of pursuing Jesus with all of his heart for the rest of his days. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go old-fashioned on you. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I, I, I feel like that this is something that we need to go on record with before the Lord. I'm going to ask nobody, don't, don't pull a Peter. Don't put your eye on somebody else right now. I just, I just want you to be in the moment. If you can acknowledge that you are a struggler with Peter's issue in this, would you just slip your hand up and just leave it up for a moment? God bless your courage. So encouraged that you've acknowledged it. You can put your hand down. So here's what I'm going to tell you. As a guy that used to probably be living at a level of inspecting other people way worse than most of you that raised your hands, you can be delivered, and it's going to free you up. It's going to free you up. It's going to tear down barriers with your intimacy of the Lord. So I'm going to come against the one thing that I believe is the stronghold in the human spirit on this issue. You feel irresponsible 
if you don't manage other people. You feel like it's your job. You feel like to let things happen at a level that you don't feel as inconsistent with the Lord. You feel like you're betraying a value of the Lord. And so I'm going to free you with this. In the name of Jesus, you are no longer to consider yourself responsible for somebody else's Christianity. You are free to disagree with people. In the name of Jesus, you are free to disagree with them. You are not free to treat them lovelessly when you disagree with them. You are free from the burden of living somebody else's Christian life in the name of Jesus. You are not responsible for their souls. You are free to believe with all of your might that the Lord is able to lead those who belong to him. And you are free to confess he doesn't need your help. So I bless you in the name of Jesus to find a moment of personal repentance, to lay that before the Lord, and to walk away from it. His word to you will demand the rest of your life. What is that word? Follow me. It'll take everything you've got, and he will supply it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.